Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy. Hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Greetings, greetings. <laughs> How y'all doing today? Sound like you were straining there, like you were... Uh, well, I've got a try- bad head cold at the moment. Trying to pass something. <laughs> you pass- have some phlegm down the back of my throat, pass- actually. Oh, lovely, lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Other than that, I'm great. It's that time of year. Hey, do you, have you gotten your flu shot? No, I haven't yet. Uh, I, fi- I figured this is the flu now, so I'm good. You know? No, 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 no. You can see there's many strains of flu. Oh, you okay. Get, you can get flu multiple times during the season. Okay. Go get yourself flu shot once you get better. Okay. Apparently, you I'll do that. You tomorrow. don't want it when you're already sick, because I don't know. Maybe the yeah, my, that might just kick me over right there. <laughs> Yep, yep. Got my flu shot the other day. I tell oh. you, what is interesting to me is that they have uh, improved needles using to give uh, injections. Oh, really? They've improved it over over the course of time. I mean, if you look back in uh, uh, when they were inoculating people back in, like, uh, you know, gold rush days and stuff like yeah. that they were they actually had uh, uh inoculations for smallpox oh. uh they realized somebody realized like back in the 1700s or early 1800s about uh that if you if you had the pox they would like take scabs from people that survived uh-huh. and they would grind them up and they'd like snort them like cocaine or they they'd you know, do <laughs> so then they started taking like the pus and things like that, and then what they would do is essentially take a, uh, a just wipe of, it on each like, other, right? They take a nail, essentially like a rusty ass nail, and they would dip it in this stuff, and they'd stab you in the arm with it and <laughs> break the skin, and that was enough to inoculate. And and w- with smallpox, when they did that, like uh, maybe like five percent of people died, or six percent of people died. If you, they didn't inoculate you, 30% of the, the local population died. So they're like, well, all right, you know, let's take the 6%. Yeah. So that's, that's how they started doing it. And, and then they came up with the needle and the injections, and they got better and better. And, you know, when you and I were kids, the needles were actually pretty, pretty beefy and, and pretty, you yeah. know, it hurt. And nowadays, they've gotten the needles much finer, the manufacturing of the needles, and they're much sharper that they go in and they you barely feel them now. I mean, they, yeah. at first I thought it was just me. Maybe I'm becoming numb, numb to life. <laughs> but you no, know, the needles have been improving. So when you get a uh, vaccination like a uh, a flu shot, it 
doesn't really hurt at all. You think you barely even feel a needle. What do, you think those yeah. beefy needles uh, built character? Though, so, I mean, you know, look at look at you Back in the old days. now as an adult, think, you have your own business. You, John wrote a book now. Right. If if I hadn't been stabbed by by bigger needles, be playing I video games, baby. Yeah. That's right. Well, it's not too late for you, Scott. When you next go in for the flu shot, ask him for the you know like two or three sizes up. Give me a needle. big needle. <laughs> ask him like dull it down a little I'm bit, stab to. it into the floor a few times before they stab yeah. it into you. Right. Yeah. I need a gauged needle, and I need it to be. <laughs> dipped into the yeah. floor first. I bet you go on eBay and buy some needles, like old, you know, medical needles from the 1800s and have them use those. Yeah, preferably used oh, on yeah. people from the 1800s. And adds a well, little you more character. You don't have to go that far. You can just head, go head over to your local veterinary, you know, large animal <laughs> right, medicine. Right, right. Uh, yeah. oh, they'll fix you up. Well, I'll tell you, you know, so I'm, I'm fascinated with the... Uh, the improvement in the needles. I thought that that was uh, amazing. I'll, I'll tell you what else is amazing. The improvement in uh, brewing technology oh. uh, by folks like uh, our good friend uh, John Bookman. John Bookman, yes. <laughs> you in a race car, Palmer? What the hell was that? <laughs> it was a neighbor with his motorcycle. <laughs> wow. Okay. I know uh, Blickman Engineering. And, and you know they are like the uh, you know they're taking uh, brewing from the the stab you in the arm with a with a nail rusty nail to uh, a fine uh, finely executed uh, needle of today uh, for home brewing. You know they've they're making home brewing painless by right. you know uh, being extremely clever and uh, knowledgeable in what they're doing. They they brew and the careful administration of nitrous oxide. <laughs> Right, and they, they've got the ability to to turn that knowledge into uh, actual usable equipment, which is really cool. And uh, one of the reasons you should check them out at BlickmanEngineering.com. dot com. And uh, yeah, if you're going to the uh, Homebrewers Conference in June in San Diego, I'm sure uh, John Blickman will be there. His whole crew will be there. They've they're usually at the uh, the conference, and they've got lots lots of fun stuff that you can touchy feely on. Ask them questions. Tell them what, how you like to brew and, you know, see what they got. And, and a lot of times they do a, a demo, too, a demo brew day, which is kind of cool. You don't think that um, f- fermenting in your bathtub back in the day, that, that, that builds character, don't you think? I think Blickman's making it too damn easy on you home brewers. Right. Would I be the successful brewer I am today if I had all this Blickman equipment uh, years ago? Not a chance. That's what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. That's what you're saying. No, I, I think you're wrong. I think I uh, would have been much further ahead of the curve had mm-hmm. I access to such fine equipment. Probably. Because yep. you have that internal drive from the big needles from when big, you were a kid. I already had the big needle <laughs> right. thing going. Yeah, exactly. So check them out, uh, BlickmanEngineering.com. Uh, good folks. They've been sponsoring the show, so uh, you don't have to pay for it for God knows like seven years or something like that. I don't know. Been a long time. Yeah. Well, and uh, it's been a while since we talked about uh, metals. And John, is uh, his expertise is actually metals. And... Uh, we had a, a, a good uh, a show idea from uh, a listener, Jack, from uh, Pittsburgh, PA. He, <laughs> he was, he was uh, asking us about uh, uh, stainless, care, yeah. care and feeding of stainless. I think that's a, you know, a, a, good, a good article for uh, one of the brewing magazines, but we're going to cover it here uh, on the show for you. Right. And uh, I think, uh, you know, 
everybody has has questions about it because stainless um, doesn't really behave like a lot of other metals. I I think. Yeah. Well, you there's a, there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, there's uh, you know when you when you buy something you think okay it's ready to go but mm-hmm. you know then you wonder are there are there steps I should take before I use it do I need to break it in somehow and uh, so you know I understand I understand there's lots of questions like that and uh, those are some of the questions we'll address today you know. How do you treat your stainless when you first get it? Uh, how do you maintain it after you've used it a few times? Mm-hmm. Um, the question the question of repassivation comes up. You know, do I need to repassivate my stainless every year or two years or five years? Um, so so. Uh, l- let's start with this, John. Answer me this: What exactly is stainless steel? I mean, I understand you know steel. I understand you know. generically steel aluminum i know they're stainless steel but i see these numbers 304 306 316 442 whatever it is you know i I see all these numbers and and why do i want one over the other or you know what's what's the the, give me the the quick uh rundown on on what stainless is a quick rundown okay Mm -hmm. well stainless steel is an alloy of iron carbon and, uh, and then a, a element such as uh, nickel, uh, manganese. Chromium. Uh, chromium. You know, there's several that can be added to it. And each, mm-hmm. depending on which uh, elements you've added to the iron and carbon, um, that class of alloy is given a certain number designation. So your, your 200 series are... Um, are uh, manganese and uh, and iron and carbon. Um, the your three hundred series, which is what most uh, cook pots are made out of, and all of our all of our brewing equipment, and all of you know uh, professional brewing equipment too, is three hundred series, which is iron and nickel. And typically, these are an eighteen percent um, uh, chromium and eight percent nickel. Uh, into the iron, the, but the remainder being iron, very low carbon. Um, and that is a 304 uh, stainless, for example, is 18.8. That, that, uh, an 18.8 um, or 304 stainless uh, item is perfectly adequate for brewing. Um, in some situations, especially those... Um, Applications that are near the ocean, uh, where you have uh, chloride pitting corrosion due to the salt in the air and so on, then you step up to a 316 hmm. uh, stainless, where they add a little bit of molybdenum, that's spelled molybdenum, but uh, molybdenum that uh, enhances the pitting uh, resistance. But otherwise, it's really similar to the 304. Hmm. It's just that one one little element addition. And... Um, then from there, you move up to your 400 series that your knife blades are made out of, and those are uh, high chromium, high carbon. Uh, then you go to 500 series, which are another uh, ferritic. Is the 400 because it holds a, a better edge? Well, yeah, or... that's that's the whole basis of the 400 series. Is those are typically used for knife blades and tools where you want the high chromium for, for um, stainless you know, stainlessness, uh, and the high carbon to give it the hardness, um, mm-hmm. 60 Rockwell and so on. 
The trouble is the 400 series tend to be brittle, and they also uh, are not very resistant to chemical attack huh. um, because they're kind of one-dimensional that way. That's where the 300 series is much more corrosion-resistant than a 400 series. Well, and I've also, you know, buying uh, parts for, like, the tap room and things like that, I see uh, some of the parts vendors, they'll they'll sell stainless couplers, stainless nuts, stainless things, and they just call them stainless. And they say yeah. it's fine for beer service. And then when they, they uh, then they'll say 304, uh, if you need to serve wine or cider or something, you know, sour beers or something like that, where it's more acidic. Okay. Um, they may be a 200 series um, on the, stainless. On the, on the generic stainless. Yeah. And like you're, you know, you go to, you go to a, the, the school cafeteria and get that cheap stainless steel flatware that they have, you know, mm-hmm. forks and knives. That's your 200 series, your ferritic stainlesses. Hmm. Well, no, sorry. 200 series are an austenic. Um, the 500 series are critics. Um, but <clears throat> the, um, um, the, the, the nickel in stainless is expensive. Mm-hmm. And so that's why. It's like at will, least five cents a pound, I would think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. $50 or $500 a pound or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that so what they try to do is they substitute uh, manganese in for the nickel to make it a little cheaper, and that's your two two hundred series. Hmm. Two hundred series are perfectly adequate for food applications. You know, low acid, low chemical mm-hmm. uh, situations. But um, and that and that may be what a lot of these fittings are made out of is two hundred series or a ferritic, which is like I said, the college uh, cafeteria flatware mm-hmm. stuff, which is. Uh, Kind of low chromium, uh, really only a low chromium addition. Huh. Okay. And, uh, so, what makes a steel stainless? Let's let's go back to that <clears throat> essential question. Well, um, iron rusts, and uh, what in the way it rusts is that you have on the surface you have oxygen molecules that will bind to the iron to form iron oxide. Uh, in the case of iron, that iron oxide is not a very stable oxide. So it encourages, in fact, it kind of seeds oxidation around it. So once you get it started, it will tend to grow. Um, as opposed to aluminum oxide, which is much more stable. When aluminum oxidizes, it just stays there. It doesn't move. It doesn't, the, the oxidation doesn't grow any deeper into the metal. It's pretty stable. But iron oxide is not very stable, and it will cause uh, rust to form beneath it, and so you can get oxide or, or rust pits in the, in the iron and the steel. Um, what stainless does is that it replaces, you know, this uh, eighteen, you know, eighteen percent chromium, eight percent nickel into the iron, and this forms a surface layer of chromium and nickel-rich uh, phases, which uh, have much more stable oxides, like the aluminum I was talking about. And so stainless steel works by forming a protective coating on the surface of these chromium and nickel oxides that are stable. And that's what provides your corrosion protection. Now, if you take um, 
another piece of iron, say like a screwdriver or some steel wool or something and scratch the surface, you'll disrupt those stable oxides. And if whatever you've scratched it with is, has you know, free iron on it, like I said, the iron oxide is not very stable and it will seed and grow more iron, iron oxide around it. And so that's why we always say don't clean your stainless steel with steel wool or other, you know, um, tool steels because they aren't the same chemically as the stainless steel, you know, pot or tank, and that can cause corrosion. Ends up depositing that uh, yes. other steel onto the uh, on the iron onto the the surface, and then it once it's that microscopic amount starts yeah. to uh, rust. The rust continues into into the rest of your stainless, and you got a problem. Right. Let's right. do this. Let's take a short break. When you come back, uh, I've got a story about uh, a piece of equipment I bought for our brewery that uh, I uh, had to deal with. Uh, uh, it's uh, very appropriate to this conversation. So we'll cover that right after this. From the stovetop to a camp burner to some kind of brew stand, most homebrewers follow some version of this progression. With each move, a homebrewer will often have to change a lot, if not all, of their equipment. Until now, Blickman Engineering brings you the top-tier brewing stand, the only brewing stand that grows with you. For example, buy a top-tier floor-standing burner now, and it'll bolt right to your top-tier brewing stand when you're ready for all-grain brewing. The top-tier brewing stand is perfect for 5-gallon to 20-gallon batch sizes. Its modular design is adjustable and a Accommodates everything from small footprint coolers up to 30-gallon pots. How does the top-tier brewing stand do it? At its core is a strong, heat-treated, and anodized aluminum main post. On all four sides are built-in T-slots for the adjustable heavy-gauge stainless steel shelves and beefy burner tiers. The tiers accommodate any manufacturer's pots or coolers up to 21 inches in diameter. Best of all, not only does the top-tier brewing stand grow with your skills and equipment, but it easily knocks down for long-term storage or transport, too. The top-tier brewing stand from Blickman Engineering. Learn more at BlickmanEngineering.com and to find a local Blickman retailer and start brewing from the top tier. The best thing to happen to brewer's yeast in a century is from White Labs. For pro brewers and home brewers, yeast in the new Pure Pitch Package powered by Flexel technology redefines how fresh your yeast can really be. That's because your yeast is cultured, grown, and delivered all in the same Pure Pitch Package. It's never been transferred and never been exposed to the environment. Pure Pitch is powered by White Labs' proprietary Flexel container, which took six years to develop and is designed to be the best home your yeast has ever traveled in. Just cut open a Pure Pitch package and pitch the purest yeast possible. Learn more about Pure Pitch powered by FlexCell technology at whitelabs.com. And while you're there, sign up for one of the many great classes White Labs offers like Yeast Essentials 2.0 coming up August 22nd and 23rd or any one of their great workshops for brewers, distillers, and vendors. Pure Pitch from White Labs. Six years to develop, refine, and perfect. Two seconds to open. When I order a beer, I want my server to know more about it than I do. I want someone who enjoys good beer and loves helping others enjoy it too. I want someone who knows how to pour a perfect pint for every beer style. I want a Cicerone. 
The Cicerone Certification Program is creating the type of people who help you enjoy great beer. Home brewers and craft beer lovers know beer is more flavorful and complex than ever, and it takes some serious knowledge to store and serve beer right. Cicerone's no beer. There are three levels in the Cicerone Program. Certified Beer Server, Certified Cicerone, and Master Cicerone. Cicerone's are truly the sommeliers of beer. The best beer locations have a certified Cicerone on staff. Relaxed and unpretentious, Cicerone's are tested on storing and serving beer, beer styles, flavor and tasting, the brewing process and ingredients, and pairing food with beer. Learn more about your next beer guide at Cicerone.org. Certified Cicerone, because it takes top talent to present a perfect pint. Hi, I'm Jason Harris, the proud owner here at Keystone Homebrew Supply. We're thrilled to be entering our 20th year of supplying this great industry. And to show you, the Brewing Network Army, how much we appreciate your support, we're offering you 10% off your first order on our website, keystonehomebrew.com. Just use coupon code BNARMY at checkout, and I'll get your order out the same day. My goal at Keystone Homebrew Supply has always been to have a complete supply of everything a brewer could want. When you place your order online or when you come into our store, it's it's our goal to have everything on your list and more. One aspect of KeystoneHomebrew.com that we're really excited about is the ability to fulfill customers' exact grain bills. Do you hate to wait? Keystone Homebrew Supply can get your precious yeast and hops to you within just one day if you live between Connecticut and Virginia and within two days east of the Mississippi. KeystoneHomebrew.com. I'm Jason Harris, and I approve this message. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. Yeah, Scott, you'll appreciate this uh, story. Uh, I'm trying to set up the tap room there at Heretic. And so... Uh, being the person that I am, I'm looking for the cheapest possible <laughs> kinds of equipment. You're right. I appreciate to, it. Uh, to, uh, you know, why pay $1,000 for a three-compartment sink when here's one for 350 Right. You know, it seems to be exactly the same thing. Brand new. That includes, like, <laughs> shipping. <laughs> you know, free shipping, uh, faucet, all that stuff. So, uh we get this thing, and uh, I put it in the tap room. It sits there for a while. So it's been exposed to oxygen for quite some time. And the stories that I've always heard as well, you know, if you uh, expose stainless to oxygen to the air, uh, eventually the moisture and oxygen in the air will pat- naturally passivate the stainless. And so... Uh, when it came time, you know, I figured, well, it's, you know, new. It's probably already fine. Uh, as soon as we ran some water in this thing and got, like, the drain boards wet, like, the next day, covered in rust. <laughs> the whole thing was all of a sudden orange, bright orange. And uh, nice. I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, you know, I wasted 300 and something bucks on this thing. I should have <laughs> just bought a, a nicer, you know, sink to start with. But... uh I knew that it was the rust on there could be dissolved with with a strong enough acid. And once that rust was gone, 
then the surface had a chance to you know kind of heal itself you know you get you you dissolve away any iron that's there and you leave behind more of the chromium the nickel whatever whatever's in the uh, the stainless right. that you got and the the there's a thing called navel jelly. I was trying to explain this to my guys at at, at the brewery. Mm-hmm. Stuff called navel jelly. It's uh, phosphoric acid in some sort of like a jelly carrier, and uh, they call it navel jelly because I guess the navy yeah, uses it on their ships. They'll they'll slather it on rust, and it will dissolve the rust down to a point where they can paint it. You know, they can they can they'll scrub the the loose rust away. They'll dissolve the surface, the rest of the surface rust with this navel jelly. Then they'll clean that off, and then they'll they'll go ahead and paint it. And that's how they maintain their their boats, their fleet of the the U.S. Navy runs off of navel jelly. So it's not the little stuff that's puddling up in your belly button right now. Right. It is stuff <clears throat> that the Navy uses. Anyway, so we happen to have eighty some odd percent uh, phosphoric acid at the brewery. So got a, a very carefully got a cup of that and uh, some gloves on, and I poured it on the surface and just kind of scrubbed it around on the surface and rinsed the whole thing off. And ever since then, not a bit of rust. It actually, uh, I find it dissolved all that rust off, and it's never had a problem ever since. So if you could go back to before you had purchased that sink, knowing <laughs> yes. what you know now, yes. would you do anything different? Uh, no, probably not. No. No. So, but would you, would you maybe treat it once it came in before any water got on it? Yeah, I might have. I might have. Yeah. And now that you say that, well, even then I probably wouldn't, I would have still just take a chance (laughs) and see what happens because I, you know, it should be fine. You know, it appears, it appears to be stainless. It hasn't had any, any rusting whatsoever ever since. Um, well, it probably, it probably is stainless and it probably is like a, um, a 200 or 300 series um, stainless uh, sink. Um, and what you've done is, yes, you've allowed the surface rust to uh, get to corrode. And then phosphoric acid is really good at um, dissolving rust once it's there. <clears throat> Sorry, it won't, uh, it's not very good for uh, cleaning off surface iron per se. So if you you know if you had bought that sink and if you tried to treat that sink brand new when it came in mm. with that phosphoric, probably wouldn't have done much. And what do um, they use for for passiving? They use nitric and nitric, uh, yeah. nitric phosphoric blend and electricity. Well, no, that's electropolishing. Um, and you have to what you're doing there is you're pl- applying electric current mm-hmm. to encourage the dissolution of the surface a little bit. You're you know you're doing a kind of an act. You're actively corroding the surface is what you're doing. Hmm. Um, the electric current helps keep uh, that surface, that corros- corrosion layer, very uniform, uh, mm-hmm. prevents it from forming pits, mm-hmm. which can happen in electropolishing if you're not doing it right. Um, and so that way you get that you do get that surface iron off and making the surface have a higher percentage of chromium and other elements and make it more corrosion-resistant. Now, the, uh, so, uh, you know, uh, Jack had uh, some questions about, you know, can rusty or otherwise damaged st- stainless be restored? And I, you know, from my experience, i got to say, yes, absolutely. I yeah. wouldn't I wouldn't allow rust to, 
make you think that something, a piece of stainless is worthless, I, what I'd say is if you see rust, you better jump on it right away. Uh, because, like you're saying, John, it can continue on through the metal. Right. And the, the sooner you take care of it, the better. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it's, it's appropriate that I have this head cold today because uh, <laughs> rust is a symptom. It was of, like head cold? Yeah. Well, it's, it's like, like a, rust is like a runny nose. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, you can have a runny nose for several reasons. You know, it may be smallpox. It may be rubella. It may be a common cold, but um, in the case of rust, you know, you can have, um, you know, the rust forming as a result of, you know, just water on the surface, uh, or it could be a salt, or it could be, um, you know, some other condition. Uh, and yeah, you know, I agree with you that generally uh, you can repair and repassivate your stainless equipment. But it depends on uh, what the, the initial cause of the rust is, mm-hmm. uh, is or the corrosion is as far as how effectively you can treat it. You know, just like a disease, I mean, uh, whether you have the flu or smallpox or whatever. So and, a little more detail on yeah. damage you can't repair or, I mean, what, well, what, what okay, are the causes so, other than... You know, yeah. moisture and or yeah. oxygen and um, well, welds. Let's let's go to welds. Mm-hmm. If your stainless is welded, and if it's welded poorly, where the the person that's doing the welding puts too much heat on the stainless steel uh, while he's doing the welding, and I'm talking like you know five ten minutes worth of you know. Uh, laboring over a joint to get it to fuse, um, that amount of heat will allow the chromium and the nickel uh, to migrate and uh, chemically combine with the carbon in the stainless and form uh, carbides. And these carbides will, you know, uh, will kind of. Uh, atomically be attracted to each other and they'll grow and what you end up with is areas of non-stainless steel um hmm. you know with these carbides formed in it mm-hmm. so that what in that this heat affected zone is what we call it you, now you have stainless steel uh containing a small area of non-stainless steel so as soon as you put that in into a corrosive environment uh guess what happens the non-stainless area corrodes preferentially to the stainless area next to it. You set, in fact, you set up a battery effect, kind mm-hmm. of a galvanic effect. <laughs> and that kind of cause of corrosion can't be fixed. You literally have to cut out that heat-affected zone and replace it with new metal and weld it in you know, quickly and efficiently so you don't generate a, big, a new heat affected zone mm-hmm. <clears throat> so now what about this this thing about uh you know uh, just leaving stainless exposed to the air will uh, eventually yeah. passivate it right well uh yes and no um the key to forming a passive surface is the stain- stainless has to be clean um i mean squeaky clean 
uh, what's the uh, no water break when you pour water down the surface that you know the water should equally wet the surface and uh, rip you know flow down without uh, causing ripples and dry areas uh, water break free surface mm-hmm. and that way you know that it's clean and on exposure exposure to air um, the chromium and nickel oxides will form inst- instantaneously you don't need to wait any period of time it happens instantaneously uh, if it's clean now that's you know in a perfect situation in the real world you're going to have the clean areas and non-clean areas and this stainless will end up passivating um, non-uniformly and that can be a problem because uh, just like your sink you could the stainless can form a, a rust in one spot and then that will spread to other adjacent spots. And one problem with stainless steel is that they tend to corrode into a pit. And that pit uh, is looks galvanically looks different from the area around it. And the, con- the corrosion will tend to be concentrated in that pit, and you end up getting pinholes in your stainless. Uh, that's especially prevalent when you've got uh, chlorine or chlorides in solution. Um, they tend to cause pitting, corro- pitting corrosion in stainless steel. So you know you got to watch out for these chemicals when you're doing your cleaning, and make sure you rinse very well, so that you don't leave uh, chloride, you know, drying your or salt, in other words, drying on the surface of the stainless that can cause corrosion in the future. Hmm. Okay. Um, well, it, in hmm. the case of your sink again. Um, what you could have done when you first received it is to take a uh, stainless steel cleanser like Revereware or Bar- Barkeeper's Friend or one of the mm-hmm. other um, cl- you know kitchen cleansers for stainless steel mm-hmm. and a scrubby mm-hmm. and just clean that whole thing and rinse it very nicely. So now you've got a you know perfectly clean uh, surface and that should passivate com- uniformly. And you would not have seen the rusting problem that you saw. Well, that that requires like forethought yes. and uh, an effort. Sounds sounds entirely counter to my whole method of working. <laughs> yeah, well, that's you know better living through chemistry. <laughs> that's right. Well, and uh, better living through brewing with style. Have you listened to the Brewing with Style show, John? You know, I haven't, but I've talked to so many people that have. <laughs> and uh, they agree that it's a great show. Right, right. And that's, well, you know, hey, it, uh, you know, it's fair play. I don't listen to this show either, so there you, there you go. And I've never read your book, Dick. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Brewing with Style, it's on uh, the Brewing Network. A lot of great shows on the Brewing Network, but Brewing with Style. Uh, I do that one with uh, Tasty McDole and John Plisse, and we go over uh, lots of different, uh, all the, the BJCP styles and the new ones, the old ones, the ones that never were, and uh, we taste commercial examples, and we even taste homebrew examples, and we tell you why these things, you can taste along with us, and you tell you why these things do are a good example, how they should taste, kind of give you an idea that you just haven't gotten a bad bottle of something, or, or you know, it should taste that way or doesn't taste that way. So it's very interesting. It's on uh, uh, 
twice a month um, opposite this show. So uh, find that on thebrewingnetwork.com. All right, let's take a short break. When we come back, John, I want to talk about uh, what kind of things should people be doing. You've got your new piece of stainless toy. What should you do with it? Okay. Okay. We'll talk about that right after this. A few things happened 30 years ago. ARPANET migrated to TCPIP, and the Internet was born. Revenge of the Jedi was renamed Return of the Jedi and opened in theaters. Mila Kunis and Emily Blunt were born, beginning a rad fantasy in my mind. But all of that pales next to the fact that HopTech opened its doors and began blowing homebrewers right out of their mash tuns. HopTech doesn't fuck around. Real people shipping awesome shit straight to you. Their new website is fast and easy to navigate. Or just call 800-379-4677 and let badass bitch Jade and the gadget guy Roberto blow their warm load of customer service all over you. So visit the site or visit Visit the store in Dublin, California, and support those that support you. Get your brewing on at hoptech.com. Are you a member of the American Homebrewers Association? Well, you should be. Members of the AHA can focus on brewing beer, and the AHA takes care of the rest. The American Homebrewers Association advocates on behalf of homebrewers like you to legalize the hobby in all 50 states and make sure that beer laws make sense. Plus, there are many great benefits that come with your AHA membership, like pub discounts that give you awesome deals at bars, restaurants, breweries, and more. Zymergy Magazine and eZymergy. For tons of articles, how-tos, easy-to-follow recipes, and news about the hobby you love. And access to the members-only content on homebrewersassociation.org. But the AHA can't do it without your support. Join today so the American Homebrewers Association can keep fighting for your homebrewing rights. Visit homebrewersassociation.org or join right now from the homepage of the Brewing Network website. Relax. Don't worry. It's the American Homebrewers Association. Hey, listen, our lawyers said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months until the next meeting. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines. I'm the professional. Hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment 10 years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park, to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. You can find our world-famous Hell or High Watermelon Wheat Beer at Brew Free or Die IPA in the Northeast, Northwest, parts of the Midwest, and Alaska in cans and on draft. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in the can. Tasty Crack Cans. Tasty Crack Cans. Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. All right. Like I promised, short break. Uh, not even enough time to pee. That's, that was that short. Oh. <clears throat> or blow phlegm out your nose. Yeah, that too. 
Uh, all right, so uh, let's say, John, I've, I've got myself some nice new stainless goodies, and you know, what should I do with them? I, you know, should I be scrubbing them down with some barkeeper's friend or something? You know, when I get them, or well, should I de- just rinse them off or do nothing? Uh, you know. Um. Yeah, it depends. So uh, it depends on do- the manufacturer. Right. The, the manufacturing process for a lot of our equipment usually involves um, deep drawing or um, a roll forming, uh, stretching the stainless against the die. Like kettles kind of or conicals or things like yeah. that? Yeah. Um, and even even large you know, fermentation tanks where they're you know, basically a rolled piece of sheet that's been welded down the side you know, or wel- and welded together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you're hoping that the manufacturer has uh, polished the stainless steel after manufacture, that he's, you know, he's ground the welds and polished them, uh, either using just, you know, purely mechanical, you know, uh, means like, uh, you know, abrasives, alumina abrasives, or uh, chemical means to passivate it after you know all the ma- manufacturing work has been done. Mm-hmm. So so now that cl- that stainless steel is clean and passivates itself. You can check, you know, if you get a new pot or a new conical or a new fermenter, uh, you can check for that water break free surface. You know, run some water down the side. If you see that water break up into separate riblets and so on, then it's not clean and it's probably not passive. So you're going to have to do something to clean it. Um, if you do get a water a water break free surface where that water just spreads out and, and uniformly wets the surface as it runs down, then it's clean and it's passive. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what do you do if it's not clean? Well, um, on the homebrew level, you know, for the for non commercial. Um, the best thing to do is like I've recommended in the past with the, the stainless steel cleanser and a, and a scrubby. Uh, put some elbow grease into it and uh, scour that stainless until it's you know bright and shiny or, or you know really uh, clear and uh, then rinse it off very cleanly. And you should get your again you're looking for that water break free surface. Mm-hmm. Um, that will be passive and that is that's it really is passive as passive as it can get um if you were to do a nitric acid passivation mm-hmm. uh, with you know 25 percent uh concentration of nitric acid uh that's hot then you can you can increase that passivation by a few percent um and that's something they do in industry for aerospace and so on but really not necessary especially for what we're using mm-hmm. And once something's passivated, do you need to repassivate it ever? Do you, uh, you know, is there a, a calendar of passivation expiring or anything like that? No, uh, but again, if you if you look back and say, you know, is the am, am I keeping this stainless steel surface clean? Is it you know so that it's always able to repassivate itself? That's the key. Um, as, you know, in a commercial brewing setting, you've got, you know, your grains in there, you've got your beer in there, um, you get beer stone, you get hop spooge and proteins and so on sticking to the sides that you've got to clean off. Um, 
typically in a commercial brewery, you're doing, you know, you're using uh, spray jets, you know, clean in place type methods. Um, and you're using some strong chemicals such as uh, caustic or chlorinated caustic to help uh, break up those soils and get them to, you know, wash off the surface. And then you'll rinse. Um, but in doing so, uh, you can leave behind non-stainless steel. And so in a commercial brewery setting, they often recommend acid cleaning periodically. Um, I don't know what the frequencies are. It depends on, you know, depends on your brewing schedule and how often you're using it. Sometimes, some breweries is probably once a week or twice a week and others it's maybe once a month. Um, but, you know, it depends on the kinds of chemicals you're using on the stainless steel. Like I said, chlorides are particularly uh, aggressive and can actually remove and, you know, you'll, they'll form, um, uh, other oxid, oxid, they'll reduce the oxides on the stainless and remove that oxide layer. Uh, chlorine is particularly bad at that. So, uh, that's a situation where you may want, you're going to want to make sure you have a regular cleaning regimen to keep that steel clean and then maybe acid clean, uh, that stainless periodically to make sure that, um, uh, the you don't get any alkaline buildup or carbonate or oxalate buildup buildups from like beer stone and so on uh, to help you dissolve those deposits. Uh, let's see, uh, certain brewery chemicals um, such as uh, Five Stars Acid Five or Acid Six that are used um, you know commonly around the industry. Uh, these are uh, you know, proprietary combinations of acid and surfactants and cleaners. Um, the acids are typically phosphoric and nitric, um, you know, in varying, varying proportions. Uh, they do have some passivation effect, but it's not so much, it's not so much a, a chemical passivation such as the pure the, or the 25% nitric process that everybody's heard about so much. Um, it's more of a cleaning process, you know, using those acids as part of the cleaning uh, chemicals to ensure that there are no carbonates or, uh, or iron oxide or other contaminants on the surface that would prevent basic atmospheric passivation. Yeah, does that make sense? It does. Um, you know, I, I always wondered if, uh, you know, something uh, that's acidic like um, uh, star sand or something like that could even, uh, you know, uh, be used well, in assisting in, in something like that. Yeah. Again, you're, you're not going to, quote, passivate the surface with star sand. What you're going to do is use the surfactants and the pH, uh, the phosphoric acid in star sand, to dissolve um, carbonates, lime, and so on that can... Schmutz? You know, uh, it, won't, no, it won't take the schmutz off? The, uh, the carbonates and... Uh, um, I think carbonates is another name for schmutz. 
Oh, it is? Okay. Let's go to the Jewish guy. Yeah. Uh, Finally, <laughs> someone speaking a language I can understand around here. Is carbonate, like, uh, synonymous with schmutz? Yeah. Yeah. See? Yeah. Okay. It's yeah. it's uh, Yiddish for, for, for a carbonate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Shmuel, schmutz. Okay, got it. There you go. Um, where was I? Okay, so, yeah, you. so the star, the star sand is not... Quote, passivating the surface what it mm-hmm. do what it can Clean. do is act as a cleaner mm-hmm. to allow that surface to be cleaned well and allow the stainless to passivate itself mm-hmm. um so a lot what, of times like uh, you know you're you know getting to the homebrew level like commercial level you know we're using a caustic and then we use a, a nitric acid uh after that uh in between rinsing in between and then we use a, a nitric acid um but on the homebrew scale, um, let's say I've got my homebrew conical. I'm not going to whip out a jug of, of uh, caustic and, and start scrubbing around. But uh, I would use, you know, PBW, make sure all the uh, the schmutz is off of the fermenter. Yeah. And then uh, I would, uh, after that, uh, you know, probably, uh, you know, rinse thoroughly and then maybe, uh, you know, sanitize with uh, uh, the... Uh, uh, star sand and uh you know then it's clean and you know like you're saying it's it's the water sheeting properly and and then uh probably that's uh gonna gonna do me in good stead for quite a while right that's if i right. do that on a regular basis that's right well there you go see we, they, we are he said i was right yeah they are, the industry is trying to come up with uh more consumer uh, uh friendly uh, passivation products, mm-hmm. um, you know, nitric acid, a nitric phosphoric blend, you know, strong enough to do, uh, you know, iron raw or free iron removal from the surface of the stainless and to, you know, eat off, pick, to pickle the stainless and eat off any contaminants. Uh, it's kind of, you know, kind of dangerous for home use. Um, what industrial or commercial is one thing, but not at the home. So, uh, there's another product out there that uses citric acid, mm-hmm. and citric acid has a chelating uh, function to it, uh, being an organic acid, where instead of oxidizing um, oxides or, re- or reducing oxides from the surface and cleaning them off that way, uh, or, or oxidizing the free iron, uh, what it does is it chelates the free iron off the surface. And then uh, the, the, again, the pH helps uh, dissolve any alkaline uh, residues. Um, these citric acid uh, cleaners and passivators are recognized by uh, the industrial specifications, um, ASTM and so on, as being effective passivating agents. Uh, the nice thing about them is that they're really non-hazardous uh, to skin. You typically use them in a four to ten percent solution, um, in the, at temperatures anywhere from uh, room temperature up to 160 degrees, and you can stick your hand in there and it will not hurt it. Uh, yeah, 160 degree uh, citric acid. Well, I think yeah. I think you'd be fine sticking your hand in, in 160 degree citric acid. Yeah, well, it'd be a little warm. A little, but, uh, a little, a little bit warm. Yeah. But as far as you know, other than the loss pack. of skin and the oozing, ble- bleeding uh, blisters, you'd be fine. 
You'd, you'd eventually shed that skin anyway. <laughs> right. But, yeah. okay. Like the lizard you are, yes. Yeah, but the point is that citric acid is a non-toxic, yes. non, non-hazardous way to passivate stainless. Right. And, and just, just to make sure, don't stick your hand in, like, anything past, like, 105. But Jamil and John said it was okay. <laughs> right. <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. But we're your family, so don't trust us. That's right. Well... Here's a here's a uh, one of our uh, fine sponsors that you can trust. I don't oh. know if you've been to AdamandEve.com. You know, a lot of these skeezy uh, porn sites. You, you know, you don't want to go there. You don't want to. You know, if you're if you if you're buying dildos and lube, I mean, you're kind of like ah, I don't know if I should trust this one. You get them through Amazon, but then Moscow's like looking at all your orders. <laughs> and you, you get them through Adam and Eve. And, uh, you know, it's safe. It's a very professional, uh, well-run company that's uh, very upstanding and been sponsoring this show for a long time. And I'll tell you, if you use the offer code Jamil, J-A-M-I-L, you go to adamandeve.com. For a limited time only, you're going to get 50% off just about any one item you want out of the store. You put that in your cart, you pay the, you're going to pay 50% of that price. That's it. Then you're going to get free shipping on that thing. Again, you're not paying anymore. They're going to give you a free extra gift so central I can't mention it. Free. You're not paying anything for that either. You even get to choose yourself three free adult DVDs from categories such as Angel Amateur Big Breast, Big Butts, Bisexual, Chunky, Co-Ed, Fetish, Gay, POV, MILF, Lesbian. I probably left a few out. I don't have my list anymore. Uh, use your imagination. Use your imagination. You get to choose from all these different categories, and uh, you get those for free. So, again, you, you're, you're buying one item at half price. You get free shipping, free extra gift, three free DVDs of your choosing, all for using the offer code Jamel at adamandeve.com. J-A-M-I-L, adamandeve.com. So check them out. You can even do it from your mobile phone. Don't, don't apply uh, Jamil's uh, triple basin sink um, <laughs> philosophy when ordering from it, from any of our sponsors. Just you know, I'm just picturing Jamil with like two dildos on the screen. One's eleven dollars and one's three dollars. He's looking hey, back and forth. That three dollar one. Forth. I think you know that'll what? get the job done. I'm just going for the three dollars. <laughs> you just got to knock the rest off. <laughs> there you go. Hey, yeah, I, you know, snaps off inside. I'm, uh, you know. <laughs> You need to be a little frugal sometimes in some of your purchases. There's things you splurge on, and there's things you don't. Right. And uh, a sink is something I don't splurge on. Apparently not. Dildos. Uh, there you go. Maybe that's the time to splurge. You know, you get what you pay for in the in the dildo world. I think Indeed you do. <laughs> My grandpa always said that. <laughs> he said, regardless of the schmutz. <laughs> You get yourself, you get yourself what you pay for in the dildo world. It's like he's here in the oh, room with me. Yeah, there you go. It's eerie. <laughs> it's, it's downright eerie. All right, let's take a short break. We'll come back. We'll wrap up talking about stainless after this. Now, Northern Brewer presents: What if home brewers ruled the world? Ladies and gentlemen, if you'll follow me, I will lead you into the gallery area. Now, the first piece off for sale today is a Jamil Zena Chef original, a bottle of 1997 vintage Evil Twin. Oh, I see. 
A bidding for this one-of-a-kind piece will start at £7,000. And if you'll continue to follow me, ladies and gentlemen, I can sell you a rather abstract piece from Bay Area brewer Justin Crossley. It's a German doppelbach entitled Justin's Giant Bach. The brewer's notes here indicate that this beer had excellent mouthfeel. That's just a crazy dream. and the finest selection of home-brewing goods for the future. That's it. I've had it. I am never putting hops in my beer again. What? Why? It's just too ridiculous. Insane prices, stupid contracts, high shipping costs, crappy selection. Dude, you need Nico Brew. Nico Brew will rock your f***ing face right the f*** off your f***ing skull. $5 shipping to all 50 states, plus fantastic international rates get you low prices on Nico Brew's great selection of hops and more. Whether you're a home brewer, a pro brewer, or a homebrew shop owner, Nico Brew can get you the hops you need in increments big and small, single orders, spot buys, or full contracts. And there's only one place to join the uber-special Secret Elite Bare Bones Club, where you'll get the best deals anywhere. Holy f***ing shit! NicoBrew.com N-I-K-O-B-R-E-W Nico Brew, your bare bones buddy in the brewing business. Have you ever dreamed of attending the World Brewing Academy? This year, thanks to Lalamond and Anstar, one lucky brewer will make that dream a reality for free. Lalamond and Danstar invite you to enter the Beer School 2015 contest. One lucky grand prize winner will receive fully paid tuition to the 2015 World Brewing Academy web-based concise course in brewing technology worth almost $4,000. From now until December 13, 2014, every Danstar yeast packet you use is your ticket to enter. Visit DanStarYeast.com for the details and to print your official entry form. There's no limit on the number of times you can enter, so get brewing with Danstar and get your entries in to the Danstar 2015 Beer School Contest. Whether you want to build your home brewing skills or build a career as a professional brewer, this course will change the way you think of beer and brewing. Enter at DanStarYeast.com and get the dry yeast advantage with Danstar and Lalamond Premium Brewing Yeast and Enter to win. BN Army, I'm here to talk seriously for a second. You all are partially responsible for something explosive, and it's time you answer for it. Moonlight Meadery is exploding. Yeah, exploding across the country. Wait, they just landed in Australia with insane quality meads. With nearly 70 different varieties of meat on the market, Moonlight Meadery has blown up the meat category and completely reinvented it. Seriously? What? Seriously. What? You're paying money for that watered-down mead when you could have a Moonlight Mead? Moonlight Meads explode with quality and flavor. They're a party in a bottle. Did someone say party? If you want mead and want the best, you want meads from Moonlight Meadery and will accept nothing less. And now get 15% off by going to MoonlightMeadery.com forward slash BNArmy and use coupon code BNArmy at checkout. Hey, sign me up for that party. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters, this is Jamel Zanishev, and I want to tell you about Heretic Evil Twin. You might be familiar with my homebrew recipe, which uses massive late hopping to create a balance between the malty sweet and the hoppy bitter, along with an outrageous malt and hop character. 
I wanted a beer with the same bold hop and malt character, so we played around with the homebrew recipe until we were able to make a great commercial version, too. We've created a beer rich in malt character, full of caramel, toast, biscuit, and an ever-so-subtle roast note. On top of that, we piled in an insane amount of citra and Columbus hops at the end of the boil, as well as in dry hopping. This damn-the-cost approach to hopping gives Heretic's Evil Twin a great blast of citrus and tropical fruit that can't be matched by any other hop. The result is a bold, malty, hoppy, but easy-drinking beer. This is our top seller, our flagship beer, and I couldn't be prouder of it. Cheers. To find Heretic Beers near you, click on Find Some at hereticbrewing.com. Back to your hosts, Jamil Zanashef and John Palmer. Putting the testicles in technical. This is Brew Strong. Yes, Scott and I had a further discussion about schmutz, rusty needles, housekeeping services, and... Uh, what else? Building character. And uh, people who say, uh, how are we doing <laughs> how are instead we of doing? how are yes. you doing? Right. Yes. We talked about that while we were urinating, which is very, you know, we doing, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Absolutely. Makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. Yeah, we. You got a mouse in your pocket? <laughs> no. Don't, you know, that's more, I, I think it's more the size of a rat. Mm. Thank you very much. Not uh, a mouse. Happy to see me. <laughs> This is speaking. Speaking of uh, how are we doing? How's the AHA doing? Huh? That that organization doing some great stuff for homebrewers. Nothing but great stuff. If you are not right. part of the we of the AHA, in other words, if you're not a member of the AHA, I think you're missing out. Great organization. They put on uh, all sorts of great events like uh, the homebrewers conference, the uh, homebrewers competition. A lot of these uh, AHA rallies, they do a uh, pub discount program, Zymergy magazine, they got the forms, they got all this stuff. And that's not why you become a member. You become a member to support the organization that supports homebrewing, the organization that looks out for when, uh, you know, the laws are changing and they're screwing things up for homebrewers. You know, they're in there uh, helping fight the, the battle to make sure, you know, what you love to do and and uh, sharing beer with your friends uh, remains uh, a legal uh, pastime and, and keeps growing like it is because that's what's given us these, you know, great uh, manufacturers like Blickman Engineering is right. having enough homebrewers to support an industry like that, totally. to support a manufacturer like that. If there weren't enough people... Uh, you know, Blickman have to charge, you know, truly insane amounts of money for what he's doing. And that just isn't sustainable. So make sure we have more homebrewers. Make sure the, the industry keeps going. Sign up for the AHA. You can even do it through the Brewing Network site. There's a link there for your AHA membership. You sign up through there. A little slice of that goes back to the Brewing Network. So you're supporting two great organizations with one purchase. Yeah, just like and that. just think, too, that if you, you know, Join the AHA mm-hmm. if you haven't already. Then you get to say, "How are we doing?" And it actually is. It means something. <laughs> right. There is a we. <laughs> you belong. You belong. You're schmutz and all. <laughs> all right. Uh, back to the stainless. Let's wrap up on the stainless here. Uh, all right. So we talked about passivating new stuff. We talked about uh, repairing stuff. Um, anything else you want to wrap up with, John? Is, is there other care and maintenance about stainless equipment, kettles, valves? Uh, well, I think, coils. I think the main points uh, are, you know, keep it clean. 
mm-hmm. um, watch the chemical contamination that you've on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for instance, don't don't fill it up halfway with cleaning solution and let it sit for a few days. Uh, you'll start getting pitting corrosion at the water line. Um, the so you know right drain a, drain your equipment get the get yeah. all the liquid out of it let it go dry yeah don't uh, let let it sit wet because uh, it'll eat right through mm-hmm. um, you know if you are uh, a commercial brewer that is using uh, clean in place uh, systems and you know strong chemicals to do your cleaning uh, it's very um, important to do periodic uh, acid cleaning. Mm-hmm. Not to you're not trying to repassivate the stainless with the acid. What you're trying to do is use those acid cleaners to remove any um, alkaline cleaner uh, resistant soils. Schmutz, yes. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, as I said, clean, cleanliness is the name of the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're getting corrosion or rust, or you see blue rings around your welds and so on on stainless. Um, that is a heat affected zone. Uh, it helps to clean off the blue, uh, you know, take that blue tint off, you know, using cleanser or other, uh, means, um, navel jelly as, as Jamil mentioned, um, because that those blue and brown oxides that you'll see on stainless as a result of the weld, those are not passive oxides. And so those can initiate corrosion in that area. So it's important to get those bright and shiny as well. Um, and uh, otherwise, that's about it. All right. I, I, you know, one last question for you. Sure. Um, in, in our brewery, uh, you know, we, we clean with caustic. We clean with a hot caustic, hot acid. Uh, we also... Um, Use sanitizers, things like that. But when it comes to ensuring that our fermenters are a hundred percent always clean, we've been using heat. And the thing about heat is, uh, you know, we'll, we'll heat it up to uh, ensure that all surfaces are pasteurized. Yeah. And by doing so, I believe we are rapidly shortening the life of our fermenters. I'm still willing to pay for it. I'm just not sure how much we're shortening the life. Let's say you're cleaning with, uh, you know, 130, 140 degree caustic or acid. Mm-hmm. Let's say that's what a normal brewery does. Now, if a brewery uh, brings their ta- their tanks up to 175 for half an hour, I got to imagine that shortening life. I was talking about this to somebody else. And they're like, oh, no, it just, you know, hardens the metal. I'm like, well, initially, maybe you're getting some hardening, but eventually that hardening turns into fracturing and that's the problem because you regardless of you harden the metal you heat harden the metal you work harden the metal work no. hardening eventually becomes fracturing because it becomes the, yeah. uh, you end up uh, exhausting the bonds or fracturing that uh, that surface well you get dislocation stack up but um no the, the the temperatures you're talking about like 175 200 um, degrees Fahrenheit for stainless um, are not significant. Hmm. Um, um, to to start affecting the metal uh, molecularly, um, I thought it was in, that expansion and contraction of the metal. Well, that that any, is any a heat. that is mm-hmm. a consideration. If you 
heating it up and cooling it down is going to re- induce um, th- um, thermal expansion, uh-huh. and you know, as a result, then thermal um, mechanical stress. Uh-huh. And so, yes, that will definitely uh, shorten the life because. Yeah. And the more yeah. you heat it up, the the greater the heating, the more expansion you're going to get, and the more contraction when it cools. Yeah, it's the cycles. It's mm-hmm. the number of cycles that mm-hmm. that um, that a particular um, stress point sees that will grow, uh, that will initiate and grow a crack. Now, someone else <laughs> suggested that the speed at which it is heated up and cooled down would somehow affect things, but I don't think that's true. I think you know, you get up to a temperature, the metal expands to whatever it's going to expand to at that temperature, and then you take away the temperature and it contracts back down to what it's going to contract to. Uh, you know, if you went really slow, would it have a difference versus just doing it, you know, at some for sort this, of regular for clip? Three, for 304, 316, for 300 series, no, not really. Um, <clears throat> the For a more brittle metal, uh, potentially, uh, something like, oh, like a 400 series, like an, um, or a tungsten alloy or something like that. And then, yeah, you have to be concerned about that. Mm-hmm. But 300 series is, is so, uh, ductile and malleable, uh, has a very, you know, the yield stress is quite high. Um, you don't have to worry about, um, the, the rip, the speed of the thermal expansion. Mm-hmm. Um, other metals such as 400 series two, when you heat those up and cool them down, uh, you can go through a region of where the, the the crystalline structure of the material changes, and that can induce additional stresses uh-huh. uh, to the to the piece. So, again, you know, in other alloys, um, 400 series or plain carbon steel or um, Others, you know, you can get these these metallurgical transformations that will induce uh, stress, but again, not applicable to um, brewing equipment, the 300 series or 200 series for that matter. Yeah, people were a little surprised when I was telling them that uh, brewing equipment wears out. Um, you know, the the fermenters, the especially the kettles. Uh, in a in a commercial brewery, and I'm sure in the home brewery, wear out uh, over time because of the heating and and cooling, heating and cooling, heating and cooling. You do that enough, and eventually, the uh, whole thing uh, fractures and fails. So yeah, it one, can it can warp, and uh, yeah, um, these these alloys um, harden by by cold working or. Mm-hmm. Or mechanical working. It's like when you bend a paper clip back and forth, and you eventually break it. Mm-hmm. Um, the these metals. Uh, that's the only way they harden. Um, case in point is uh, Blickman's top tier system. Uh, remember when we were up in uh, Tahoe and trying to drill a hole through to mount the uh, the uh, I guess it was the, the those, striker. Those were just p- pathetic drill bits. Yeah. But the, the cold working of the of the metal to form it into those right. shapes uh-huh. really strengthens it. Right. And so right. if you and started inducing you know thermal stresses to that, yeah, that you would hmm. you would induce cracks much sooner hmm. in a highly you know cold worked piece of metal like that than say in the in the kettle. Right. So here's one other reason: like when you when you get a brew plant 
when you're sizing your brew plant, if you can leave that thing hot like all week long instead of cooling it down, heating it up, cooling it down, heating it up, you can keep your kettle hot all the time. Uh, it essentially will extend the life of that kettle as well because it's it's not going through the contraction phase. It's just right. hot. Like I said, it's the, it's the number of cycles, mm-hmm. you know, hot to cold, so hot to cold, that number of cycles that uh, affect the fatigue strength like that. So the next question people are going to ask is, how many cycles is that? <laughs> I'm sorry, you, the line broke up. I couldn't quite hear that. <laughs> yeah. How many cycles is that, John? Ah, um, it depends. Um, <laughs> yeah. Somewhere, anywhere from 30,000 to 300,000 plus. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. There you go. There's your answer. 30,000 to 300,000 plus. Yeah, I think it, that's a good answer. It depends on uh, the the strength, the yield strength, the uh, forming history, uh, you know, the amount of stress that it's seen each cycle, the delta stress. Um, so, I mean, that's that, that's a whole branch of engineering there to to actually determine uh, what the fatigue life of a component may be. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's what that's what you know. CAD and stress analysis was invented for, just because that is such a complex problem trying to predict that. Well, and the good thing is, John, that you could have said any number, and nobody would have. They'd be just like, "Yeah, okay." John says, "There you <laughs> no, go." You there see? are people out there that will correct us. You know this. <laughs> yes, that's true. No matter what we say, we get corrected. Yeah. Uh, you just you just can't win. All right. Uh, I think that was a fine show all about uh, stainless, uh, care and feeding of your your fine, uh, shiny friends in your brew house. Uh, If you enjoyed the show, make sure you're checking out our fine sponsor that makes lots of great, fine, shiny, stainless things, Blickman Engineering. Check them out, BlickmanEngineering.com. Lots of uh, shiny, fine, stainless things to innovate your brew day. Uh, if you have the uh, the druthers, I would uh, go to thebrewingnetwork.com. Check out all the things and goodies in the store there. When you buy that stuff, all goes to the bottom line of the Brewing Network. Helps uh, support shows like this. Helps uh, feed all our addictions. You know, the things we need. Enable us. Enable, why don't you? Enable us in our, yeah. in our schmutz addiction. Yes. You can you can do that at thebrewingnetwork.com. Make sure you uh, sign up for the HA, uh, show up for the conference. Uh, what else? Uh, listen to the other shows. We've got uh, Brewing with Style. We got the the Sour Hour. We got Doctor Homebrew. We got uh, the the Monday session. We got uh, is that it. I think that's it. I think that's it. Wow, I covered them all. So uh, if you enjoy this, I'm sure you'll find something you'll enjoy in those shows as well. Until then, uh, everybody, brew strong. Brew strong. <laughs>